This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. Hey guys, I'm Shane Bacon, and I want to tell you about a new podcast called Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. One guy that has probably hit a 350-yard drive, considers himself an athlete mostly because of his unreal papa shot abilities, and has in fact started to show off signs of a tricep forming, is our own Max Homa, PGA Tour winner and fan favorite online. Max and myself turn out new episodes every week to give the fan a unique look at golf and all that comes with it from someone that spends his work weeks on tracks we all dream to play, grinding and out with the best in the world. Listen and follow Get a Grip with Max Soma and Shane Bacon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts right now. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I am currently hopelessly addicted to the Florence and the Machine album, Lungs. I've been promising Sarah I will copy it for her. And in one of the songs, Florence Welch sings, I must become a lion-hearted girl ready for a fight. And since I've listened to this CD every morning for approximately the last 100 mornings, I'm really in love with this quote, and it also got me thinking about other lion hearts, although I think the subject of this podcast isn't quite the kind I'm striving for. Richard I of England, also known as Richard Lionheart, or Richard Coeur de Lion. And you might remember Richard from our episode quite some time ago on Eleanor of Aquitaine. This is his son. Eleanor, we sometimes call her the woman who lived too long. Way too long. That was so much research. She was a podcast. She was a very elderly woman, and I don't think we had quite learned to break up podcasts no. when they're like that. So anyways, this is Eleanor's son with Henry II, and Richard is not so great at being a son to Henry II, but that's not really what he's famous for. He's famous for the Third Crusade and for being a great warrior. So to give you some background on the Third Crusade, we have a man named Saladin, who is the ruler of Egypt and Syria, a very powerful man and known to be a very chivalrous one, which kind of makes him the perfect counterpart to Richard's reputation as this perfect knight. Knights from the East and from the West, they go together. So in the years after the Second Crusade, Saladin had taken most of the Crusader cities, including Acre, which was a very important port city, Beirut, Nazareth, Caesarea, and then finally Jerusalem in 1187. The city had been in Frankish control for 88 years, so this is a huge deal. The only city he didn't have was Tyre, a very important coastal fortress, which would screw him in the yeah, end. Yeah, definitely ends up messing him up. But things had been rough for the Crusaders through this time. They were suffering through famine, disease, thirst, because they had contaminated water. They couldn't stand up to Saladin, and in the end, there were very few places left under Christian control. But Saladin himself is dealing with some internal problems, especially the Sunni-Shiite divisions between the Muslims under his rule. So 
the capture of Jerusalem is a huge blow to Christians, and Europe is very shocked and very determined to act. And we've talked about crusades already, and how crusades and popes, how popes like to have their own crusade. This is the same case as the Fourth Crusade. Pope Gregory the Eighth encourages a new crusade to take back Jerusalem. And the interesting thing about this crusade is just how many kings, I guess, get involved. There's so many leaders involved in the lead up to the Third Crusade. Game. It is. We have William II of Sicily, but he died in 1189, which kind of put a halt to uh, his part of the war. And Frederick I Barbarossa, who had a huge army, he was a formidable threat as they pushed through Byzantium and Isaac II Angelus's attempts to thwart them. But Frederick drowned before they reached Antioch, possibly because his horse slipped in a river. He would not make our list of, of best military horses. Um, and after that, his army kind of fell apart. It's, it's hard to go without your leader and... That was the end of that. Definitely. So rounding out our lineup, we also have Philip II Augustus of France and Henry II of England, who is Eleanor of Aquitaine's husband. And these two are arch enemies. And the cause of their dispute... Like everything else in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Nobody gets along very well. The cause of their dispute is land and dowries. And who gets what and who gets whom and women as, as pawns in marriage. Yeah, it it really doesn't help much when Philip teams up with Henry's son, Richard the Lionheart, in a revolt against him. So major problems between these two guys. Henry died of a broken heart, I think, shortly after he lost to the two of them, to his son and to this man he hates. And now it's up to Richard to take up the cause of the Crusades. Taking back Jerusalem. He was enthroned in Normandy in July 1189 and England in September, but he would only spend about six months in England during the whole of his rule. He just wasn't really interested in that part of it. And I liked this quote from Encyclopedia Britannica. His abilities lay not in administration, for which he had no talent, but in war, at which he was a genius. So that's the final word on that from an encyclopedia. So yeah, instead of focusing on England and administration, he focuses on the Middle East. And in order to get the crusaders there and win, he needs money. He needs a lot of money. So he starts selling off lands and titles and taxing the people. The Saladin tax. Yeah. He also picks up his father's fight with Philip of France, this argument over marriages and dowries that is going on through the generations, apparently. So Philip wants to tear apart the Angevin Empire, of which Richard is part. And Richard, in preparation for leaving, makes sure that he has allies who will look after his empire while he's gone. He he doesn't really trust Philip for but, good reason. Well, and as part of that, he ticks off Philip even more than he already was. I didn't think that was possible, but it is. Because he was supposed to marry Philip's sister, Alice, and instead he promises to marry Berengaria of Navarre. Her father was going to help take care of Richard's lands while he was gone. Um, but he gets to keep some of Alice's dowry lands instead of returning them to Philip. And this is a grudge that would simmer for years. But now both Philip and Richard headed for the Crusades. So Richard goes to Sicily first, while Philip goes to Acre. And Richard conquers Messina. He's very, very efficient. Very efficient, yeah. And then he's on his way to Cyprus. And in this fun, classic Middle Ages twist where you have knights and damsels in distress, Richard 
saves both his sister and his betrothed who've been shipwrecked and taken into custody. So he rescues them from Cyprus. And yeah, then takes the island. So that'll teach you Byzantine ruler. And then he goes to Acre to meet with Philip and help him lay siege to the city. Earlier crusaders had begun the siege in 1189. So it's been a couple of years. You can imagine that both sides are tired. Yeah. They're pretty much at a stalemate. Neither side has given in. And Philip shows up just in time in 1191. And together, he and Richard managed to breach the walls, finally. And the city surrendered in July, much to Saladin's displeasure. He had told them not to, but they said unless he came to their aid, they couldn't they couldn't keep we it We can't up. hold it, Saladin. And they didn't get, get it. it up. So that was the end. Um, as part of being the losers, Saladin handed over the fragments of the true cross that he had and also promised ransom for getting back his Muslim prisoners from Philip and Richard. But he didn't deliver that money fast enough for Richard's liking. And he decided to execute thousands of captives where Saladin could see it. And Saladin retaliated in kind with Christian prisoners. So... Really, no one won that. No, this massive prisoner execution. And just a note about these two men. It may not seem like it, but Saladin and Richard had a lot of respect for each other. We already mentioned you have this ideal knight of the East and knight of the West, but legends have them meeting and competing as equals. It's fun to imagine them having some sort of jousting match or something like that. Richard with his brute strength and Saladin with his witty intelligence. But really, they never meet. They have messengers who communicate between them. It's not... Quite as romantic as even though it would make a good story. Yes, there's finally an open battle between Richard's armies and Saladin's in September at the Battle of Arsuf. Philip had returned home by this time for unknown reasons, and it was a decisive win for Richard. And the only time the two would directly confront one another, and Richard went on to win Jaffa, a port city, and the rest of the Levantine coast. But what he couldn't get was Jerusalem, despite coming in sight of it two times, almost being there. He wouldn't lay siege to the city, and while this made sense from a military strategy point of view, which he was oh so good at, his troops didn't understand his reluctance, and they didn't like it. It's the point of why they're there in the first place, to get back Jerusalem. Instead, he wants to attack some of Saladin's Egypt holdings, but the troops don't see the point of that either. Negotiations began between Saladin and Richard, but soon stalled, and their armies continued to lose and retake cities and attempting to avenge their dead brothers in very bloody conflicts. But they finally came to a peace in September 1192, and as part of that, truce, Christians, as long as they were unarmed, and Muslims and Jews would all be allowed to enter Jerusalem. So all in all, despite not winning Jerusalem, which was you know, the, the main goal of this crusade, it was a pretty successful one, not at all like the Fourth Crusade, if you listen to that episode, A Crusade Gone Wrong, in which everything went wrong. They actually get some stuff in this crusade. Yeah, we're going to call that one a success. Semi-attain the Jerusalem motive. So Richard heads home in October. You have to imagine he's feeling pretty good, but he's shipwrecked. Twist. And, <laughs> you know, uh, we always have these shocking shipwreck twists in our podcast. Leopold of Austria, who's mad about Richard slighting him during the crusade and possibly killing his cousin too, sticks him in captivity. And he remains there for a while until Henry VI, who's the Holy Roman Emperor, took him. So good old Eleanor of Aquitaine comes into the picture here and raises the ransom for her son. But that's not quite yet. Yeah. Because in the meantime, 
course, as we mentioned, Philip had returned home, and he has been up to no good. Specifically, he's trying to take Richard's lands. He believed that Alice's dowry lands should be returned to his family, as far as I'm concerned. That's a point. Yeah, he does have a point. And he also didn't like the fact that Richard had gotten all the glory from the Crusades. And Philip felt that once again, the Algevin had been cheated out of what should belong to them. But since Richard was a crusader, his lands were supposed to be protected while he was gone. But this was Philip's chance. I mean, when would he have another one? Richard's just too good. So he faked some papers saying, hey, Richard and I came to this agreement. He signed them. I'm supposed to get those lands back. The Normans are like, no, I don't think so. No, it's not going to happen. So he got Richard's brother John on his side and some other counts of French lands and to be fair, they weren't sure that Richard would ever get out of prison and return home, so they're kind of throwing their lot in with Philip and hoping that will help. Um, according to the article I got this from, a lot of this from, by Simon Rees in Military History. So it did make sense to stick with Philip for the time being. He's out of prison. Although it should be said for a while, no one knew where Richard was. John even announces that his brother is dead, and Eleanor says, nope, he's not dead. So you don't know if that's tricky John or... If they really believe it. I'm going to go with Sneaky John. <laughs> so Philip hits Gisor Castle and just rampages through Normandy, pillaging along the way, but is stopped at Rouen, the capital, by Earl Robert of Leicester. And eventually, Richard's ministers decided to make a deal just to stop him from making trouble. Keep what you've won already. We'll give you a few other small territories, uh, but we'll give Richard the option of buying them back if he wants to when he returns, which... Of course, Richard has too much self-respect for such a deal. Yeah, well, and Philip and John are trying to bargain with Henry VI during all this, too, who is, of course, the one holding Richard prisoner. They're saying, maybe you could turn him over to us and we'll, we'll, we'll take, care take good of care of him. Wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. Um, Henry VI doesn't have any of that. He lets Richard go February 1194. And at this point, Philip... It's on, Philip. Yeah, it's on. <laughs> so Richard raises money. We know he's good at that already. And he has himself recrowned and he heads Just back to, to Normandy. Know, yeah, hit home that point that I am back. I'm king. So John comes pleading to his brother to to forgive him. Richard says, you are a child. You can just imagine the condescension. Oh, yeah. They do make up later. We should mention that. Yeah. But Richard and Philip fight up and down Normandy. They fight through Touraine and Aquitaine and the Loire Valley. And they almost come to a peace at Vaudreuil in 1195. But Philip is still working against Richard, even as these negotiations are going on. And Richard figures it out. He's just, no, we're calling the whole thing off. So the two return to fighting. They're going to fight for pretty much the rest of the podcast. At Isidon in 1196, Richard manages to cut off Philip's supply lines, which results in a temporary truce, but very temporary indeed. They fight until January 1199, and at that point, they finally come to some sort of terms, all while Richard is standing on a boat on the sun, and he's yelling at Philip, who's up on the banks. It's pretty ridiculous for guys who have been fighting for years and years to work it out like this. But a plus for him during this time, Richard built his beloved Chateau Gaillard, uh, which cost 11,500 pounds sterling at the time, an astronomical sum of money. We decided that he and Ludwig should hang out and have dinner. And it was also the strongest castle of its time. But soon after this, we have the very murky ending of Richard's life. Yeah, this is 
pretty confusing. We know how he died, but the events leading up to it are completely confusing and frankly bizarre. So he attacks the Lord of Shaoyu in March 1199. Why does he do it? There are, are two opinions on this one. It's possible he thought that a, a vast cache of buried treasure had been discovered and he had not gotten his share. Um, in my outline, I wrote seriously in parentheses, <laughs> but I don't know any more about that. The second option is that maybe he just wanted to destroy the holdings of the Count of Limoges, which <laughs> I like to think is a big chest full of china. Smashing those plates. <laughs> but either way, after he's uh, attacked this lightly guarded place, he's shot with a crossbow and the story is strange. Again, really, really weird. A man fires at Richard and supposedly Richard is impressed by his bravery. Oh, you, you know, you're, you're shooting, shooting at me. How at, amazing. At Richard Lionheart. And he ducked, but too late and was shot in the shoulder and the doctor couldn't get it out properly. And the wound turned gangrenous and Richard forgave his killer, whoever it was, but his men did not. And after Richard died, the man was flayed to death and again, we still don't really know what happened there, but John was named his successor, and he just wasn't the man that Richard was. No, he he appears in a book I have called Histories and Monsters, so we might have to talk about him a little later. But Philip wore him down and accomplished what he set out to do in the first place. He broke the Angevin Empire into many little pieces. So with John's reign leaving much to be desired, a lot of people are left longing for this the days of the lion heart. Yeah, he, Richard seems like the perfect example of a knight. And some historians agree, and some don't. There's this ongoing fight, for one, about his sexuality. Oh, right. Uh, my favorite excerpt I was reading said that he was, and I quote, accused of homosexuality. We would like to point out for all you history writers, we do not accuse people of sexual orientation. This is not there's, the Oscar Wilde trial episode. No, there's no jacques in this. <laughs> but they all agree on one thing, that militarily Richard was brilliant. That's why he is the Lionheart. And if you care to go over each and every one of his battles, both during the crusade and with Philip, I didn't. That would have taken us quite a long time in this podcast. You'll see multiple examples of how smart his strategy was. He was undoubtedly very talented. But was he what England needed at this time? And is his reputation deserved? That's your choice. But just to give you a little bizarro world follow-up. Some postscripts. Yeah. So remember how we've been talking recently about Napoleon and his invasion of Egypt and all of these Mamelukes and the warrior slave caste that rule Egypt. Tyre is taken by the Mamelukes in 1291. So it's a small world after all, yeah. even on a podcast. It's a reverse order podcast here. And another note on one of the cities we've talked about in this podcast, the old city of Acre is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And as for Saladin, our Eastern Knight, he died as his 17 sons fought bitterly over his estate. So sad circumstances and he was a really interesting man so i'm considering a podcast on him at a get later a, date a few podcasts out of this one so let us know what you think about that suggestion you can email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com but that brings us to a very special listener mail 
And this edition of Listener Mail is a presence listener mail. Christmas in August. Always very exciting. From Melinda, we received two really awesome shirts. And one is hand-printed specially for the podcast based on our Lilio Kalani Last Queen of Hawaii episode. And it says Team Lilio Kalani. And if you'll remember, we are we are big fans of the Queen. We stand with her as far as that goes. And the other one says the Lusitania was an inside job. You can't buy the Lilio Kalani t-shirts. Those are just for us, but you can get the Lusitania one. I think she gave us her website. Yeah, it's Austin Apparel. So thank you very much, Melinda. We have been wearing our t-shirts proudly. And thank you for the podcast support and all of your kind words. We're going to put up some pictures of these awesome shirts on our Facebook fan page, so you should come join us, and also on our Twitter feed at Missed in History. And if you'd like to read some more great history articles, you should come to our homepage and search for them at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. We are going to Italy after the success of last year's trip to Paris. We are planning another similar trip, still with defined destinations, this time to Rome and Florence. Yeah, we are going to spend a week exploring some amazing things. We're going to have city tours of both Rome and Florence. We're going to see the Roman Colosseum, the Vatican Museum, and the Sistine Chapel, St. Peter's Basilica, Vatican City. This is just a tiny fraction of all the stuff we're going to get to do. Yeah, it's May 14th to 21st, 2020. And to get more information, go to defineddestinations.com and scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class. Hey guys, I'm Shane Bacon, and I want to tell you about a new podcast called Get a Grip with Max Home and Shane Bacon. One guy that has probably hit a 350-yard drive, considers himself an athlete mostly because of his unreal papa shot abilities, and has in fact started to show off signs of a tricep forming, is our own Max Home, a PGA Tour winner and fan favorite online. Max and myself turn out new episodes every week to give the fan a unique look at golf and all that comes with it from someone that spends his work weeks on tracks we all dream to play, grinding and out with the best in the world. Listen and follow Get a Grip with Max Soma and Shane Bacon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts right now.